let's uh, go ahead and read uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses uh, 1 through 10. It says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace ye... For by uh, grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. All right, let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, God, I thank you for this opportunity just to, uh, to share your word. And I thank you just going over these verses really gave me a greater appreciation of the salvation that you've offered. When we think about who we are and what you've done for us and what you're turning us into, Lord, we give you all the glory. In your name I pray. Amen. So if you remember going through uh, chapter 1 a couple weeks ago, Pastor Joel did a great job of talking about how God was really showing us an inventory of all the things that we have in Jesus Christ. And then we can also see the Trinity working together as well, too, how God in eternity past set our salvation, the plan in motion, and God the Son came to the earth to fulfill that plan. And when someone trusts Christ as Savior, God the Spirit then seals that salvation. Paul continues on towards the end of that passage. He talks about this prayer that he has for them, that, that people could understand the power of God that is at work within them and that they could comprehend the things that God has done for them. Now, as we transition to chapter number two, it's kind of a spiritual biography. Paul then begins to discuss what we were before we knew Christ. The condition that we were in and the power of God that pulled us out of that condition. And it's chapter one is a very positive chapter. Chapter two has really, really deep lows and really, really high highs. It goes from something that seems like that would be the absolute pit of despair just to absolute hope and glory. And it's all because of the grace of Jesus Christ. So first we see that we were dead. I don't, how many of you watched The Princess Bride growing up? Yeah, I figured most of us, right? So when I was a kid, I watched that movie. And I was maybe five or six years old, I think. And the thing about it was, is I didn't realize it was supposed to be a satire. And so as a kid, I, I kind of took it serious. And then I was also going through my Ninja Turtle phase too. So I thought the dreaded Pyre Roberts was actually a ninja because he was all dressed in black. And so for Halloween, when I wanted to dress up like a ninja, I was actually dressing up like the dreaded Pirate Roberts. Anyway, side story. So to continue on with that, so he goes to save the princess, right? She's been captured by these guys. He defeats the giant. He outswits the guy who thinks he's really smart. And uh, they go through, uh, I forget, what is it, like the Swamp of Despair or something stupid like that. And the, uh, he uh, slays the uh, rodents of unusual size. And then he gets captured. And then he gets tortured. And he's pretty much left for dead. You know, his associates come and they find him. And, and then the movie did a really good job he, with the makeup artists. They, he takes them to this, uh, this older couple out in the woods. And, and this is probably the nastiest, oldest couple 
you would ever see if they were actually real. And the problem comes up, and they're asking, you know, can you save this guy? Can you save our friend? And the old guy says something unusual. He's like, well, he's not dead. He's mostly dead. Which is kind of a paradox, because you're either dead or you're alive. So what does it mean to be dead in sins? Well, it says, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. And just as a side note, um, in the King James, if you see something italicized like he hath quickened, uh, that means the translators either added it there for clarity or they added it for emphasis. So it would actually literally read, and you were dead in trespasses and sins. Because Paul has a continual thought of what death is. He explains what the spiritual death is, and he's going to contrast it with the grace of God in the life that it brings. So the Greek word for death here, necros, makes me think of like necrosis, right? It can either mean dead, dead body, depending on how it's used. And I think some people have a misunderstanding of how severe this death is talking about. We're all from the Midwest, at least most of us. So we're familiar with deer crossing and what happens when you hit a deer. Now, if you're the person who hits the deer, you'll see it usually kind of wobble off to the side of the road. It's still alive. Not dead yet, but I suppose following the, uh, the spirit of the Princess Bride, you could say it's mostly dead. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about you driving by the deer in the middle of July after someone hit this deer a week prior and this thing is bloated. It's ready to pop. There's no longer life in it. So it's not talking about, well, you know, we're kind of spiritually alive. Is saying that we are radically corrupted by our sin. Now, this does not mean that we necessarily physically die. Remember at the very beginning, God told Adam and Eve, hey, look, you can eat of any fruit in the garden, good or in the garden, but don't eat of any of the fruit on the tree of the good or the knowledge of good and evil. And so they eat it. And remember what God said. He said, The day you eat it, you shall surely die. Now, did they physically pass away after they died? No, we're here, so obviously not. But they became spiritually dead. Their sin nature radically corrupted who they were. We can see this in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18. And listen to these words. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongue they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is a description of humanity, a description of all of us before we came to know Christ as our Savior. And this passage really defines the severity of this deadness by describing it. It says that we are enslaved to evil masters. I remember when I was working at Office Depot a long, long time ago. It makes me feel old these stories. But anyway, uh, one of the assistant managers that were there, my coworker, was giving the gospel and talking to him. And I remember he made the response and he's like, well, hey, you know, it's not like I worship the devil. I'm surprised my friend went there with him. He's like, well, actually. And when we get to this verse, 
Number two, it says, wherein in time past, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. And 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26 says, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, and meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. If God preadventure will give them repentance to the knowledge of the truth, and pay attention to this last verse, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. And finally, 1 John 3, verse number 10, it says, in this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. Before we knew Christ, we were literally taken captive by the devil. Now that's not to say that we didn't have our own choices. We're still responsible for our own sin. So we can't say, well, the devil made me do it. But we'll find that when we're enslaved to our sin nature, which I'll be getting into next, it's not very hard for the prince of the power of the air to manipulate people who are already enemies against God to do what he wants to do. But we also see that we were servants to our own flesh, among whom also we had our conversation in time past in the lusts of our flesh, Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Romans 8 makes this very clear about the condition of we are when we are walking in the flesh. Starting in verse number 5. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is at enmity or literally at war against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So, they that, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. When we were born, we were born with a sin nature. Adam was part of the federal headship of humanity. I'm not going to get into all the verses, but his sin nature was passed down to us. This is why in Psalm 51, David could say that in sin... His mother conceived him. And the same is true about us. We were born with this sin nature. But what does this not mean? It doesn't mean that we're beasts or that we're animals and that we don't have responsibility or choices. Because when we were made, we were still made in the image of God, even though we marred it. We have the law of God that's actually been written in our hearts. I like how Romans put it, that even those who didn't have a law became a law unto themselves. And it's very evident because they could look out on the outside and they could excuse some people or accuse other people because they knew, while it was still in perfect knowledge, they still knew deep inside that there was something right and there was something wrong. This also doesn't mean that a, purchase, a person can't do things that would appear to be virtuous, even though they're dead in sin. But we have to take it in context. What does it mean? What does sin do to us? We do these good things or we try to do these good things. Well, the Bible says that all of our righteousness are as filthy rags. We might do something that we think is good before we know Christ, but before God it isn't truly good. Sin has radically corrupted who we are. And keep in mind, we're doing this in the shadow of our rebellion against God. Even our very motives for why we do things have become corrupted. I think of it this way. My kids are picky. Like, they will only drink bottled water. It's kind of annoying, but it's how they are. 
And we had this discussion before too. I'm like, you know, there's kids who are actually getting sick because the water you drink and or water, the water you won't drink and you won't even drink tap water. It has to be bottled water. But anyway, so what I'm getting at with this is question. How many of you share drinks with your kids when they were toddlers? Anybody? How many of you came to find out how nasty that can actually be? Yeah, right. So I've got this pure, clean water. And ironically, it was my oldest daughter who has the problem with this. She puts her mouth over the bottle and then drinks it. And then especially after she eats chips and stuff, right? And she puts it down. You can see it all go back in the bottle. And then she's like, she, she goes, oh, here you go, dad. I'm like, you know, you can keep that. That is all yours. And when we try to offer up our righteousness to God, when we're not, as well, as Paul said about Israel, they were going out to try to establish their own righteousness, but they hadn't submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. So when we try to offer up good works outside of what is truly obedient to Christ, outside of actually being in Christ, trying to do works that are not powered by the Holy Spirit, that are produced by the generation of regeneration of new birth, when we present that to God, it's kind of like my daughter drinking out of that water bottle and letting the spit and the chips get back in the water and me being like, here, God, this is what I have to offer you. He doesn't want it. But this also doesn't mean that we're robots. Just because we're dead in our sin doesn't mean we can't make choices. There's a distinction we have to make here. We're not beasts, but what it does mean is that we will live consistent with who we are, within our sin nature. Before we know Christ, we will make tons of choices every day, but they will be consistent with the sin nature, or with the sin nature that corrupts us. Which is why we say, without conviction, there's no salvation. The Holy Spirit of God has to work on someone's heart so they can choose to actually trust Jesus Christ. Not that the person doesn't have a choice, it's just that they will always choose to do what's consistent with the sin nature, and that is to rebel against God. And I hope as Christians, this gives us a heart of compassion and grace for other people. Because the only thing that separates us from anybody else is solely grace of God. Our nature is just as bad as anyone else's sin nature. We had this discussion in, uh, in connection groups too, and you know, sometimes we talk about you know, like salvation testimonies. And Now, it's very apparent on the outside, depending on what the story is, God might get more glory from one than the other, at least from us, because we can see the dramatic change. But I think where sometimes we might make a mistake is thinking, well, uh, I got saved as a, as a, like a really young child, so I, I don't really have a story. And uh, the truth is, is you do. If we really understand who we were in, before we were in Christ and the power that sin had over our lives, we have quite a story because it took a dramatic work of God. It took great power from God to make us alive again. But unfortunately, because of the sin, we're also, we were also on the pathway to wrath. It says, and we were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Look, the truth is sin has consequences. A lot of people will say, well, I, I'll make my own choices and I determine my own destiny. Here's the truth. You will make your own choices, but you will not determine your destiny. God will. You can live how you want to, but you're going to have to suffer the consequences for the choices 
that you make. And the Bible is very clear that for the wages of sin is death. And in uh, John 3.36, and it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not on the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Before we trusted Christ, we were literally slaves to Satan, slaves to our own fleshly desires. We were dead to sin. We were, rebe we were rebels against God. You could say that we were enemies of the state because God is over this world and we were trying to live for the kingdom of darkness and opposing the kingdom of light. Now, if we just left it there, that would be a horrible message. But remember, this chapter has extreme downs and extreme ups. So after we consider who we were before we know Christ, we get to this next verse in verse number four. I love these two words. In spite of everything in this spiritual biography of what we were, it says, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us or made us alive together with Christ. For by grace are you saved. We were dead in sins. We were part of the kingdom of darkness and doing the will of the enemy. We were enslaved to our own flesh. But the same power that Paul was praying about that we went over at the very end of uh, Ephesians chapter 1 is the same power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead. That power was at work with and that power that raised Jesus Christ physically will raise us up again. And if you're a Christian, has raised you up again from spiritual death to spiritual life. And we'll see that Jesus, he really undoes everything that evil had accomplished. We see like the eternal blessings. We have a new citizenship. And he hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We were a part of the darkness of this world. And yet when we trusted Christ as our Lord and Savior, we died to our sin. We died to our fleshly desires. We died to our former masters. And our life was hid with Christ in God. And we were raised up again in spiritual life. And it says that he made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I don't honestly fully understand this verses and all the implication, the significance it has for our life. And uh, to be honest, you might have an answer out there, but I promise you there's like 30 different explanations for it. What I do know is that we've switched citizenship. And according to God, we are already seated with Christ, which why it's hard to wrap our minds around is because God doesn't live in the present. He lives in the eternity. He's not constrained by time. And in his sight and what he sees is we are already seated in heavenly places with Christ. Remember, we were slaves to former masters. He delivers us when we die to our sins and we die to our flesh to give us new life. But he also takes us out of the kingdom of darkness and brings us into a kingdom of light. He, do, he undoes everything spiritual death did by his grace. And I think as Christians, there's a lot of application for us when we think about how we live our life. And we think about the kingdom that we've been brought into Look, with all the politics that are going on right now, I think sometimes as Christians, we forget that we're Christians first and then Americans later. Hey, look, I praise God that I grew up and had the opportunity to live in the USA, and I'll even go as far as to say that I am a patriot. But prior to being a patriot, I'm an ambassador of Christ. I'm representing his kingdom 
first. And Jesus Christ was the risen Lord, who is the king of the world. His rule trumps any rule here on earth. And when I'm talking to people, my goal isn't trying to switch an ideology from one political party to another to get someone converted from one movement to another. I'm, primarily, I'm primarily trying to get people out of the kingdom of this world into the kingdom of God. That is our goal as Christians. And yes, along with that will come sanctification. Along with that comes repentance and a change of mind. And so you will see a lot of well, what will happen if someone's truly saved as their life will then conform to biblical truths. But it also talks about his exceeding riches, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Jesus Christ. I remember as a kid, Christmas time, I'd get two choices from my parents. Usually it was, okay, Larry, you can get one kind of nice thing, or you can get a bunch of cheaper gifts. And I remember one year I chose the bunch of cheaper gifts and I was super, super excited about all the toys that I got. And I remember, you know, saying, Mom, Dad, I love you. I love you. You're the greatest parents in the world. And I'd go disappear in my room and I wouldn't see anyone for three days. And there was just a lot of excitement and wonder and awe because of all these things that have given to me. Then I got bored. And now as a parent, I've personally have gotten to experience this. And it's really the same, like literally the same thing I've did to my parents, even verbatim some of the things I said to my parents. Just this last Christmas, a year ago, got a bunch of stuff for the kids and my daughter's, oh, dad, we love you so much. I'm like, you weren't saying this yesterday, but I love you so much. Thank you for all these gifts you've given to me. I don't see them for like two days. They disappear. And then about two days later, they're bored. All these toys are laying around the house. The toys of Christmas, they, they had lost the wonder of it all, right? Well, when we get to heaven, that's not how it's going to be. It says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Jesus Christ. It is going to take an eternity for us to fully appreciate all the things that Christ has given us. All the things that God has given us. This isn't going to be like when you were seven years old on Christmas Day and then you got bored with toys. For every day for eternity... We will be giving glory for everything he has given us. It's going to be like Christmas Day times a million, and it'll never go away. Think about that. For someone who is dead in their sins, servants of Satan, servants of flesh, opposed to the kingdom of God, but then by his grace, he raised us up spiritually so that in the future and for eternity, he can show his exceeding riches towards us. What love? I mean, that is incredible. That's not what we deserved, but that's what his grace offers. And we see finally that it is all by the grace of God. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Salvation truly is the miracle of God. We're dead in our sins. We have a heart of stone. 
But then as the gospel gets preached, as the message goes forward, you can see the Holy Spirit of God working on a heart. Someone who's a rebellion against God, their heart starts to soften. They make the choice to trust Christ as their Savior. And then you can see a life that is completely changed around. Someone who is serving the devil, now someone who's serving Christ. Someone who is in darkness is now walking in light. It is all because of the grace of God, not because of our works. In fact, it can't be of our works. All of our righteousness were as filthy rags in, in the nature, in our own sin nature. We couldn't do anything to please God. So for anyone to say, well, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to try to be a good person and I'm going to earn my way into heaven. You're just doing what my daughter does to me, except far worse. You're offering this dirty water up to God and say, this is what I present to you. But you're actually doing it in rebellion against God because when you don't submit to the righteousness of Christ, it's sin because you're trying to go about and establish your own righteousness. Salvation is far more than just trying to earn something. It's not a matter, a lot of people think of salvation as, oh, this is my ticket out of hell, and this is my ticket into heaven. Salvation is far more comprehensive than that. It's far more powerful than that. God is really getting at the heart of the issue, which not to be cliche, is your heart. He wants to transform who you are. It's not just about transforming your destination, but he wants to change your direction. He needs to make you new again. This is why Jesus said that we must be born again. We have to have a new nature. And if you will honestly repent of your sins, change your minds about how you see your sin. You once thought it was good. Now you see it as evil. The Holy Spirit's working on your heart and you put your faith only in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. He lived on this earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross to pay for your sins. He rose again three days later in great power. Then that power of God, that same power that rose in again, will change you from the inside out. Salvation, again, is not just about a change of direction. It is about him dramatically and radically changing you from someone who is totally corrupted by their sins and pulling you out of the kingdom of darkness, putting you into the kingdom of light, giving you a fellowship with God, a new heart, a new life, and an eternity where every day we will get more and more appreciation. Glimpses trying to comprehend God as he shows us his exceeding riches that he has towards us, this love that he has towards us. But as Christians, it also means that we have no room to boast about anything. I remember hearing an illustration from Spurgeon that, you know, if I get to heaven based on my own works, you know, of course, hey, look what I did. But getting to heaven by the grace of God, you'd expect to say, this is something that only the grace of God could do. But can I take it a little bit further than that? Every time as Christians we think we've done something good, we need to remember that it's God who works in us, both to will and to do of, of his good pleasure. It is God who spiritually enables us to do anything that is truly righteous. So when I see Christians who are at odds against each other and jealousies and fightings, and sometimes people are like, I want to be more important than the other person. I wish I had this position, or I, I wish I could do this, or you look down on somebody else because of something that's in their life. Can I remind you, the only thing that is good in us is Christ. The only thing. That leaves no room for boasting about anything. That's why Paul says it's foolish for us to compare ourselves among ourselves. Anything that you've truly done that's good is not because you and yourself were a good person. It's because tr Christ is truly good. 
and the Holy Spirit of God is in your life. Yes, we need to cooperate. We need to obey. But when we obey and we're walking in the Spirit, those good things that come actually come from God. John 3.21 says, But he that doeth the truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be manifest, that they are wrought in God. Someone who's walking in the kingdom of light, doing truly righteous deeds, can put, stand in the light and show everyone, this is not about me. This isn't because of anything good that I have done. Anything you see in my life that is righteous, any life change that I have is simply because of the grace of God at work in my life. No room for boasting. No room for pride. We're foolish when we try to cause division, when we try to compare ourselves with other people, because before we knew Christ, we all had the same dead nature. And after we came to know Christ, the righteousness that is found in our life is the righteousness of, the righteousness of Christ. Not something that we produced on our own. Nothing to boast about. And as a Christian, I hope this keeps us humble, and I hope this helps us talk to other people and give them the gospel. And realize that when we're talking to people, we need to stop being shocked by the things we see on the news and getting so upset. Like, man, I, I can't believe these people are living this. It's almost like they serve Satan. Well, they kind of do. I, I can't believe, like, they, they, they live like this. It's almost like they have a sin nature. <laughs> they, they do. So our response shouldn't be shock and awe, like, oh, I can't believe people are living this way. It should be, they're living according to their nature. This is who they are. And what will make a difference in their life is the grace of God. And if you want to be used by God, walk in the Spirit. God will use you as the vessel to communicate his message. And you never know how the grace of God can work in someone's life. No room for boasting, no room for pride, and should give us plenty of compassion. We can't look at anyone like they are less than us. Because the only thing that is truly a value of us is what Christ is doing in us. So be humble. Well, if you're here today and you are not a Christian, yes, this message has some severe ups and a, some pretty severe downs too. Like it really takes you from one place to the other, really strong contrast. But there's hope for you. If you don't know Christ as your Savior and you realize and God is speaking to you and you understand that you have this sin nature and maybe there's these things you, you can never truly get victory over, can I tell you that through Jesus Christ, God can take you from spiritual death to spiritual life all by his grace. You'll never earn it by church. You'll never earn it by being a good person. But God will take someone who can, who's been doing works of darkness and they will become his workmanship unto what? Good works. He will make your life new. You'll be forgiven. You'll have eternal life with him. And it has nothing to do with you earning it before God, but only what Jesus Christ did when he died on the cross to pay for your sins. It's only by his grace you are saved. And if you'll put your faith in him today as your Lord and Savior, you can have a new life, be part of a new kingdom, and have a destination where God is going to show you his goodness for eternity. If you're a Christian today, there's still plenty of application for us. We have no room for boasting. We should have compassion upon people. Don't be so quick to judge and be shocked that people are acting the way that, well, is according to their nature. We should be humble. We should be, we should be praying. And we should be giving out the gospel. 
And if there's ever in your heart something right now where there's conflict between you and another Christian and that pride gets in the way, remember when we start having those arguments in our minds of, well, this person did this and I did this and I deserve this. Remember, anything that's good in either you or them is because of the grace of God in their life. We have no room for boasting. We have no room for pride. But we do have plenty of room to give glory to God for anything good that's found in us.